right, in verse 12. So if you remember uh, last week, remember we talked last week about um, you know, Jesus' first miracle, right, at the wedding, right? And, um, oh, I'm sorry, so Coralie's here. Everybody's got to say hi to Coralie. Rebecca's back there, right? Finally here, Coralie, we got to wave hi. Yeah! It's awesome. It's awesome. She's beautiful. So you got to make sure you kiss her on the way out. Only if you're not sick. Don't do it if you're sick. So, uh, so last week we talked about, um, yeah, Jesus and his first miracle, and he's turned the water into wine, right? And um, the week before last week, we kind of focused a lot on alcohol and, like, drinking and where does that play and what is right and um, should a Christian do it, should a Christian not do it? Um, and because that was really, like, a secondary issue. The primary issue is what we talked about last week, and the primary issue was... Jesus, by his nature and by his attributes, he takes something that's empty like a clay pot, he's able to fill it, and he's able to transform what's ever inside of it, and then bless all those around it so like it's the best they've ever seen, tasted, or heard. And we're super similar to those clay pots. In fact, the Bible describes us as those clay pots. So God, by his nature, he's looking to reveal his glory through us, and he's looking to overflow through us and to those around us. So it's like, wow, that's amazing. Like, what's going on with you? I haven't seen that response before. Like, so he's looking to do those similar types of things. And that was his first miracle, right, last week. And when that miracle happened, it said that the disciples, it increased their faith, and they were able to believe in him more. And so after that event is where we pick up in verse 12 here. So let's see what's going on. It says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. All right, so he leaves this wedding, returns water into wine, and then it's like a switch goes off in Jesus in this particular circumstance. And um, you see he shows up to this, really, what turned into a marketplace, and then he makes grabs some cord together and makes a whip and then he starts overturning tables and bless you and 
chasing people out of there, and uh, it's kind of a crazy scene. And then they're like, hey, you know, what right you know, do you have to do this? And uh, he says, well, take this temple down, you know, I'm going to rebuild it. And they're thinking, you know, he's talking about, you know, the temple that's actually there, and he's actually talking about his body. And so um, there's a lot of questions, like, within there. And within that passage, I think, is something super important that we'll get to today that I can pretty much guarantee all of us are guilty of at some point in time, and I'm hoping and praying that as we continue our relationship and walk with Christ, we'll be less and less guilty of. All right? So let's go through a couple things here. So what was the problem? What was the problem? Let's take a look. It says, after this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, right? It was after the wedding stuff, after turning water into wine. He went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, right? They're celebrating Passover here around March to April, not too far from where we're at, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So the problem is is that as he goes up to Jerusalem during Passover time, what does he find happening at church, at God's sacred and holy place. Right? you got to remember, like, this is, you know, Jesus had just come on the scene, and the way that they would worship in the Old Testament is that you would go and meet God in a place. Like, where you worshiped was very important. In fact, later in the book of John, he meets a woman at the well, and, like, that's her question. Like, where do we go and worship? You know, we, the Samaritans, she was a Samaritan, are from Samaria, and uh, she's like, you know, we worship here, you guys worship there, like, where's the right place to do this? You know, because it was important. You know, where do you do this? Because it was not like Jesus already came, paid for sins, died, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. It was like God is in a particular place where he said he is, and that place is really important. And so he gets there, and he sees the temple courts, and he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he gets there, and he finds a marketplace going on. Church, for lack of a better term and a better way that we can understand, church has turned into a business and a marketplace. That's the problem. He shows up. And you got to right, remember, like this is Jesus Christ who helped create. The entire world was created through him, by him and for him. This is his father's house. And he's like, whoa, this is not what it's intended to be. This is his place, and this is just a money-making store business right now. So that's the problem, and we'll get into some more implications of that later. So what was Jesus' response? What did he do? Right? Verse 15, he made a whip out of cords drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. I mean, he just told everybody just to get out. He's even got the animals going. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So Jesus gets like a physical response going here. You don't see a lot of that from Jesus really as you go through the scriptures. You don't see a lot of that. And um, it's significant and important why he did do that, which we'll talk more about that in a minute. But that was his reaction. He chased everybody out. 
So you got a picture of probably all these cages with animals, and you got people sitting at tables, you know, with money, and you see doves and lambs and all this stuff because these are things that they would bring because during Passover, it was a time where everybody, even non-Jews, Gentiles, would come and they would purchase animals and then offer them as a sacrifice to God, to Yahweh. And that's what they would do. And if they're making a long journey, they're really not trying to bring... I mean, it's not like that SUVs. Like, they're not going to put their sheep in the back of the truck. You know what I mean? Like, it's not happening. So they're not going to bring all that with them while they travel. So when they get there, they can get the animals that they need and then offer their sacrifice. It's a pretty good, like, idea. But it got way out of hand and it just became money-focused. That was the problem. So Jesus just... Makes a whip. I don't know. I would have liked to see this event like happen. You know what I mean? Like Jesus chasing people with a whip and overturning tables. And um, the Bible says he doesn't. He had never sinned, right? And so it's very difficult in my fleshly mind to see somebody who's like really angry. He's angry and frustrated, and have that not be sinful. Especially like with a large crowd and a big group of people. Curious to kind of see, you know, how that looks. But nonetheless, he did not. And we'll probably talk more about anger um, in a little bit. So why did he not approve? Why did he not approve? Let's take a look. It says, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me, right? He did not approve because this place had a primary focus, and the primary focus was worship and prayer. That's why he didn't approve. If he wanted to help people, like, get their sacrifices and provide a way so people could still worship, that's, like, a good thing. But when that starts to take over, that's not a good thing. And this is a different response from Jesus than when he says it the second time it happens. You know this happened twice throughout the Bible? Happened twice. Now, later in the other Gospels, right? I think I have this slide up here from Matthew 21. Later in the other Gospels, it talks about Jesus. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Sounds familiar, right? It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. That was his response then at that instance. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have that scenario later in their Gospels. The one we're reading about right now happens super early in John with Jesus saying a different response. So this is, like a, this is a different issue. And in our Situation, Jesus didn't come down and be like, well, you know, you're selling them bad doves, you know, like these are defective animals, um, you know, or uh, it, it wasn't like on the, the method, you know, sort of of selling it and the type of product that they were giving. He didn't even say that they were robbers. He didn't even say anything. It was a house of prayer. What was his response? Right? Zeal for your house will consume me. And earlier on, Jesus said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? That was his response. This thing has turned into a market. 
This is just a money-making thing. And if we've been around the 21st century at all, we kind of know a little bit about that and churches and money-making schemes, right? It's just unfortunately happens way too easily, way too often. So, since that stuff has happened, why is Jesus getting so angry? He's obviously, the issue is not so much what he talked about before, a den of robbers and a house of prayer. It was a house of prayer. And they were really uh, business focused at this point in time. But Jesus' point is like, man, this thing just turned into be a market. So why is he so angry? Why would he actually start to take materials, put them together, start to, it didn't say he actually hit anybody, so he probably just scared people out of there, and then turned the money you know, tables over. I was like, so why is he doing this stuff? Well, I wrote down a couple of thoughts. Right, this marketplace was not flowing from a love of God. It was flowing from a love of money. Right? He was mad that this marketplace that had started had a good initial idea. Like, hey, listen, like, this will make it easier for those traveling that can come and still worship Yahweh. It's good. It's a good reason. But at some point in time, it was like, hey, look how much money we could actually make off these people. Like, they're pretty much going to pay anything. And then that became the focus. See, religion was being used as a facade and Jesus saw the hypocrisy in that. The religious leaders were totally cool with this. They were fine with this. They knew it was happening. But Jesus saw past the facade, past the veneer of what appeared to be like something that was going to just help people out and create a way to where they can worship. He's like, no, no, no. You guys are into the money. That's what this thing has turned into. That's what the focus is. This has turned into be a marketplace. And when we go, like, let's say to Home Depot or Lowe's, you ever see, like, a veneer piece of wood, right? The top layer looks real nice. We get, like, some cabinets with, like, finished with, like, like, some nice oak, you know, stained real nice. So just, like, the first, you know, quarter inch, maybe half inch, depending on what you buy, whatever it is, that's a nice oak, polished, really nice layer. But underneath that, you know, it's probably made with some, you know, pine or bogus stuff that's just not that great you know but it appears really well from the outside and jesus many times has gone through the new testament and his encounters with these guys and like listen you guys are like whitewashed tombs is what he called them right look really good on the outside but on the inside like it's just not right and i think i have another passage up here from luke where jesus even um brings notice and attention to the fact that they love money and they heard everything that Jesus was doing, and they didn't like him because that Jesus would call him out, call them out on their love of money. Like Jesus had just a beat on it right away, and they did not like that at all, amongst other things. But for them, religion and money was all messed up. It was all messed up, and he saw right through that. And there was a veneer there. I started thinking about this idea and topic, and like of veneers and facades and something that seems like it's legit and authentic and and even got me thinking a little bit about last week you know where Jesus was ta- turning water into wine remember he grabbed those big six uh, pots ceremonial washing pots remember he had the picture of it 
and um, they had that up there. And sometimes those clay pots would have cracks and stuff in them. Who knows anything about being in a clay pot and having cracks, just out of curiosity? Yeah, a couple honest people. So sometimes these clay pots would have cracks in them. And um, what would happen is if they were getting, you know, made and they were cracked, what they would do sometimes is they would grab um, some, uh, some wax and they would actually, like, kind of, like, uh, I don't know, fill in the gaps there, you know, and cover that, you know, so it looked okay, and, um, and you wouldn't be able to notice if you looked at it really quickly. But some pots that were made, you know, from um, some people, they'd actually have a stamp on there. Like, you know, when you go to the grocery store right now, you get the organic USDA stamp, you know what I mean? Like, if you're looking to eat healthy, you're looking for the organic stamp, you know? For these pots, it would have, like, it would have a word on there, say, sincere, Sincere, but say sincere. Sincere, right? Have the stamp. I don't know what, you know, if it, what kind of stamp they had and what it looked like and what the logo was. Maybe a big S and a C or something. I don't know. But sincere be stamped on there. And it would mean, it would mean that that pot had no wax in it. Nothing else. Like it was legit, the real thing. There's no cracks. Wax was never used to cover anything up that was there. Because the stuff with wax, you know, it could hold up to the light, and if you had it at the right angle, you'd say, ah, oh, yeah, there's something, like, that's not right, you know what I mean? Sincere is taken from the Latin. That entire word is taken from the Latin, and it means without wax. We're called to be Christians that are sincere, without wax, not having funk that's like a veneer to make us appear different than who we really are. And Jesus was really upset because the religious leaders of that day were experts at having lots of wax and hiding it and making their veneer look really good. So then I started thinking, I'm like, well, you know, there's not a lot of difference in a lot of ways, not every way, but there's not a lot of difference in a lot of ways between me and the Pharisees that time. You know, as far as trying to hide things and, um, you know, the kind of struggles that they had. The difference is I'm going to be repentful Say, Lord, make me who you want me to be. You know what I mean? I want to follow after you. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. You know, they weren't at that place. But I started thinking about stuff. I was like, man, you know, some Christians, veneers, things that they use. And again, I was thinking about last week was drinking. That's a veneer that some people can use. Like, so after, you know, we talk about all this stuff with drinking and alcohol last week, um, the veneer on that one can be like, hey, um, we talked about you know, alcohol last week. There isn't really a straight answer from the Bible on it. And so that's just a green light for me to do it. I guess, hey, let's go. You know, I just needed that enabler from the pastor to say, hey, you can, and then let's just go for it. That's, that's my you know, qualification now. That's not good. You know what I mean? Like, that's not good. The issue with that is, like, how is the heart associated with the alcohol and can you a- are you able to do it in such a way where it still bring glory to God in some way, shape, or form? Like, are, are we at a place where we, can say, where we can hear God saying, yeah, it's not really wise to do that right now. It's not a good idea. Or in this situation, okay, maybe it is all right. But, like, are we at that place? And we're not at that place, then, like, we shouldn't venture into certain areas. Or I started thinking about watching, like, rated R movies and, like, stuff that's just not good. Like got a lot of friends, you know, at work, and, you know, they talk about movies, and there's a couple of guys, you know, who are just 
they can remember, they can forget the whole plot of a movie, but they'll really remember some like intense sexual, sexual situation types in the movies. You know, it's like the veneer is like, oh, it had a great plot. I really liked the show, and there's great action and good. Well, is there like like a lot of like you know sexual stuff in there, and are there scenes you know and stuff like you know we shouldn't see and oh yeah you know but I don't watch you know that stuff or maybe we try to fast forward that stuff and like uh huh uh huh like that's just a veneer you know what I mean like that's just that's just phony nonsense especially for the Christian like there's some stuff we shouldn't be watching and listening to like this is a holy temple this is the temple now where he resides. And you see Jesus, the way he approached the holiness of the temple, he was overthrowing things, and he was aggressive about keeping that thing pure for his father. We should be headed that same route as well. Aggressive about the same things. I thought another veneer, you know, sometimes that people we can hide behind is like even being on social media. Oh, yeah, I just want to go on there for such and such or be in touch with so-and-so and... And man, that can lead to like some bad stuff too. Like if we're not at a place where we're just going to use it for whatever we say we're going to use it for, and it's not going to lead to like comparisons with other people and self-esteem issues and um, unholy relationships and other things, like, hey, probably shouldn't be on there doing stuff and looking at stuff. Why have a veneer on there like it's okay when it's really not okay? Like, just say that it's not and just, like, don't do it. You know what I mean? So I think that we as people can be really good with, like, having veneers of things that make it seem like it's okay, but it's really not. And that's what got Jesus so angry and so mad. Because the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount and, like, his most famous sermon ever was purity in heart. And it says that, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Like, they will know him, they will come in contact with him, they will hear his voice, they will know his voice. But if, like, there's one foot in and one foot out, and we're trying to, like, play a game, and it's just no good. Got to get rid of the veneer stuff, right? Just got to get rid of that stuff. So let's do that fill-in-the-blank. What are these four fill-in-the-blanks? Religion was being used as a facade. Religion was being used as a facade for, anybody want to take a guess? Religion was being used as a facade for holiness and Jesus saw the hypocrisy. Right, that was the big problem. That was the big issue. I think it's worthwhile to see like how aggressive he got about that stuff. I think it's really important that we notice how aggressive he got. It's very few times where he got physically aggressive in the New Testament with a certain environment of what things were going on. And I think some of that should really be sobering to us, and we should like take that in and be like, wow, he was really intense about what his father's stuff was. Should some of that like reside in us? 
Instead, many times, a lot of Christians become really good at bartering, complacency, and negotiations. And like a casual kind of deal. Man, I don't know. Jesus was pretty serious about some stuff. About the stuff that mattered. And we should really be too. Like That's something we should really strive after. So then, what did... Actually, I wanted to show you this quote. This is a great quote. I wanted to show it to you. Have it on the next slide, I think. Because this is what these guys asked. So this stuff happened, right? And then how did they respond? What did they say? They said, show us a sign. Like, what gives you authority to come in here and just, like, let loose and go crazy in here? Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Let us know. Truth be told, the main issue was not with his authority. The main issue was with them recognizing and just submitting to the truth that what was going on in there was not right. Do you see that? It's a deflection. Do you see it? Like the main issue was not like, who is he? Can you do this? The main issue was, you're calling us out like on this sin in this marketplace, and I don't want to deal with it, so I'm going to question, who are you really? These guys are good at that stuff. And unfortunately, like, I can be good at that stuff too. Somebody can notice something about my life and notice something about me and be like, "Mm, I don't know, like, you think that's smart or is that wise? And they could say something. And they could be right on the money and truth could be there and light could be there. And I can hide behind some kind of deflection or diversion and say, well, they didn't say that very lovingly. That wasn't very nice. Or that just like came out of nowhere, like, what was that? You know, like. And that might actually be par- partially the case. But hopefully, we're so hungry for truth in our lives that we actually filter out the stuff that may be surface level offensive and we look to just get to the heart of the truth that maybe is trying to speak to us. Oh, that's big time. So then now we're not Christians that are just like, you know, super thin skin and whoever delivers any sort of truth and light into our lives, like it's a personally offensive. It's like, no, man, like I'm hungering after truth anyways. And then maybe you could even say something like, yeah, you know what, you're right. I don't really like the way you told me, but what you're saying is right on the money. Because for many people, as soon as the truth and the light comes in, it's shut down and defensiveness. We're not called to be that. And his spirit lives in us and empowers us so we don't have to live and respond like that. That's our old nature, an old way of thinking, an old way of response. And we, when we see that in us, we've got to just be honest about that. That is just not, that I did not respond well. That was not right. That's my old nature trying to creep back in. Holy Spirit, have your way. That is just not right. Confess that one to you. Like, we just got to get that stuff on track. Like, that's the work that he's doing in us. The Pharisees wanted none of that. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do, and their mind was settled. They weren't even open to hearing the truth and being hungry for the truth and being hungry for the light. So now this quote, right? They don't need more signs to prove what is true. They need hearts that love what they know is true. Oh, that is really good. 
They didn't need another sign. They gave him plenty of signs. And we even see from the gospel that he was even in those temple courts and he was healing people and delivering people. So obvious, it's like ridiculous. It's just a lame, nonsense excuse. And unfortunately, we use a lot of those a lot of times. Just got to get over ourselves sometimes and be hungry for truth. We don't need another sign. They need hearts that love what they know is true. Because I you know deep down they had, man, this is like, this guy's different. We've never seen stuff like this. Look at the people that follow. Look at what he's doing. And they even talked about that amongst themselves. When the issue of John the Baptist arose, and they're like, well, like, what are we going to say? All the people are following him, so we can't say that he's bogus because then people won't like us. Like, what are we going to do? And then if we say he's real, like we're giving credibility to what he's doing, so we should join alongside, we're stuck, you know? So these guys knew. And in fact, we're going to read in the next chapter, one of the Pharisees came and found Jesus at night. Which we'll read about next week, Nick at night. Nicodemus came and found Jesus at night. And he's like, hey, uh, what's going on here, man? Like, things are different. I know something's different. There definitely were some Pharisees and religious leaders that had hearts that were just like confused and they wanted to know the truth and stuff that was going on. But then there were some that were just shut down. You know what I mean? They were just shut down. Want to do my thing, my way. I don't really want to hear it. May we never get that hard or stiff-necked. May we never get that hard or stiff-necked. That's why it's so important. When we hear the voice of God speak into our hearts, oh, pray that we would just respond as quickly as possible. How many people know it's so easy to just shut off that small little voice and like get into a pattern of that? It doesn't take very long for that to happen. It doesn't take very long at all. Maybe we just want to respond right away and be hungry for the truth that he's speaking to our lives. And he will speak it to just our hearts, just with his own voice, and he will use people around us. And they might not always get it right in the delivery. Isn't that true? And when you find that person that always does get in the delivery, let me know. I want to meet them. Because that's a phenomenal person. Oh yeah, that was Jesus, right? So, let's get that right. Let's get that right. So the issue is not really about, which we already talked about, Jesus' authority, right? It was more about their hypocrisy and greed. That was the main issue here. That's what really was going on. So then Jesus responds to this sign question. He says, destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it again in three days. That was verse 19 and verse 20. The Jews said, it took us 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? He says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And Jesus was actually true on two fronts. That temple that took almost 46, 50 years to build, King Herod did for them, and it was actually magnificent. Say magnificent. It was magnificent. It was a wonder. It was actually one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world. This thing was just gorgeous, beautiful. And they, we find some remains from it now, and we're just like, wow, how did they do this? How did this happen? It's amazing. And so then you got a guy coming in, and he's like, yeah, knock this down, you know, I'm going to rebuild this thing. <laughs> I'm like, what? The rebuild took 50 years. The build before that took almost 100. It's ridiculous. 
The interesting thing was that Jesus was talking about his body, but it's also interesting that 40 years later, the Romans came in and just ransacked it. They just took it down. There is no value of even having a place where the Lord could reside because he's not even welcome there. Money was. He's not going to hang around and force his way into places where we don't want him. There's no place to have a place to worship him there. Romans came in, they ransacked it. They literally took every brick down. And then it's also true that Jesus rose again on the third day, which is what he was talking about in the first place. So who and where is the new temple? Because there is a new temple. Did you know that? It's not in Naugatuck. Did you know that? Don't know if you knew, right? It's not Naugatuck. It's not even in Connecticut. It's not even in America. Right? 1 Corinthians. Let's take a look. The verse is on the slide. 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? I think even Tozer had a book. The title was called The Dwelling Man, The Dwelling Place of God. Cool title for a book. But that's true. That's amazing. He's chosen to reside in his people. The temple stuff and one place to go to worship is done. Like eventually when C.C. Nogi has its own building, whether it be this building or some other building or wherever, there's nothing, amen, right? There's nothing special about the building. We're going to say, Lord, you just have your way. You do whatever you want with it. There's nothing necessarily like super sacred about it. It's just a place where we're coming where his name will be known, recognized, served, and lifted on high. Other than that, let's use it for all kinds of different types of stuff. And if kids get it dirty, kids get it dirty. Stuff falls down and breaks, stuff falls down and breaks. We get new stuff, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't reside there. He resides in the hearts of people that go there to worship him. So that new temple is in us. And so I guess the question is, does Jesus, would he have to come in and like overturn tables and clear crap out? That's the question. And then the question is, if he does, okay, so be it. Then he does. The question is, would we be hungry enough for truth to let him do it? even though it could cost us relationships, could cost us money, could cost us pride, could cost us some of our freedoms that we've known and enjoyed for so long. That's the question. I hope, I hope, I hope, and it is my prayer that we continue to get to the place, man, where we're just hungry for truth and whatever he wants to wipe out, turn over and get rid of, say, Lord, have your way, because there's even no life apart from you. It's just a facade and veneer of what I think life is. We don't want to live under that and under that control and under that force. So who's the new temple? I am. You are. Anybody submits and surrenders their life 
And in Revelation 3.20, it says, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever chooses to receive, I'm going to come in and eat with them. And come in and be with them. So I hope that we submit and surrender so, man, he can just come in. He wouldn't even have to, if he's got a clean stuff, man, then there's clean stuff. Have your way with it. Clear stuff out. Be aggressive even if you have to. And whatever I can control on the outside, I'm going to be aggressive about too. So maybe I shouldn't be rated, watching that show or watching the rated R movie or having a drink or doing this or doing that. People's freedoms are different for different people. And God has given us a lot of freedom within Jesus Christ, but some stuff for some people we can't do, we just can't be around. And that's a conviction just for some people, and it may not be for somebody else. So let me ask you this question. So let's say in our new building wherever it is, okay? The new building, right? Let's say we got a big bookstore in there. And let's say we've got a coffee shop in there. So, and a basketball court. Uh, So, can we, uh, so what's the deal? Like, would Jesus want to come to the building and come to the place and clear that thing out and say, whoa, whoa, this is about making money. That's an interesting one to think about, right? Because he came into that marketplace, man, and he was not a happy camper. So we answer that question next week. You think about that for the week. Right? What's the deal? What does the Bible say? Would that be okay? Is that a sin? Is it not a sin? If it's not a sin, like, why not? How come? And Think about that. We'll start off with that next week. We're going to take some communion. And... Um, we can spend our time during communion to be thinking about, man, who really lives inside of us. These temples are important stuff. Really important. Not so much that we should really worship them and like it becomes an idol in our life, but hopefully things would be in such a way to where God is welcomed and known and served and loved. Right? And if there's stuff he needs to clear it or is working on clearing out or you know that he's speaking to your heart on, I hope that during communion time you can like get that straight with him. That's important stuff. And he may even be calling you to like help to get other Christians involved in the process to help work some things out. So hopefully that time is also used you know, during this. But really, if none of that is even an issue, then that's awesome. Praise God. I hope that during this communion time, while the song is going, we sit down with our stuff. You know, it's not only time to talk, it's time to like reflect, reflect and pray. I hope the time is used to like, Lord, help me to be hungry for truth in my life. To where like, I just don't want to respond in defensiveness and hide behind a veneer. I want to be hungry for truth and light, no matter how it comes into my life. Man, God can do a lot with people that are hungry for that. And where that's what they want, primarily, not secondarily. So the elements are up here. And uh, we'll play a song. Um, While you guys come on up, come on up, uh, take the elements, hold on to them, and uh, and then we'll take it together.